This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Kanda Mason's Brown Rice Hour, a podcast that quilts together a fabric of connection between land, race, money, culture, and spirit. Discover a connection that engages with the most inspiring and cutting-edge thought leaders today, pointing toward our collective healing and liberation. If you are interested in supporting the Brown Rice Hour, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Kanda. All right, here we go. Um, I am here. Hello, everyone. This is Conda Mason, and I am the host of today's The Brown Rice Hour, um, having intersectional conversations around land, race, money, culture, and spirit. And um, today, my guest is the one and only Charles Eisenstein, who, um, so good to see you, Charles. Yep, really happy to be talking to you again, Conda. I know, it's been a while. I can't even remember the yeah. last. It's been a while. Well, it's so good to see you now. I, um, I've been thinking about you a lot. And um, But before we get started, I, I have a few things that I do ahead of time, okay? One is that I like to call in sacred space and to be aware of the land that we're on um, and giving acknowledgement to the indigenous people who occupy, whose land we, they, they stewarded way before we were here. And I'm here in Oakland and this is Ohlone land. Um, do you know, uh, the indigenous people in the land where you are right now? Well, um, the most recent indigenous people were the Narragansett. Okay. Um, and in fact, where I'm living right now is only a couple miles from a, uh, massacre site. Oh, wow. Where the um, the colonists and uh, in alliance with the Wampanoag, who were uh, a tribe that was mostly in Massachusetts, I think mm-hmm. they um, they were having King Philip's War. It was called, mm-hmm. and they um, discovered where the Narragansett were hiding, basically over the winter mm-hmm. in the Great Swamp. It's called, and came and um, killed. You know, I think a few hundred. Wow. Um, and yeah, we uh, um, last year on on uh, Thanksgiving, we um, went to the Great Swamp and we did a uh, oh, ceremony, you know, and just to kind of um, send a different signal to the land. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The you know, land can can be harmed by intense trauma. That's right, and and confused and stuff. So that's right. 
we just did our, our you know, tiny part yeah. to send a different signal. That's but yeah, awesome. there's some history yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah, that's some serious history. And what state are you in? Tell us where you are. Rhode Island. You're in Rhode Island. So, yeah, the land is interesting. I'm so happy to hear you say that because, you know, one of the, like I said, this is a conversation at the intersection of land, race, money, culture, and spirit. And understanding the land, that the land, the memory that the land holds and, and how it impacts the land and how that impacts the people. And it's really such a reciprocal relationship because we're all, it's a, it's a live universe. And so, anyway, I love even starting talking about the land, and though even in a very sad way, um, there's been so much harm done on this land in this, in this country. Yeah, well, thank you for, for that, for that bit of history there. And um, so the other thing I like to do is honor the ancestors. Um, for me, it's a real important part of my, my being here. I'm always aware, I re and particularly now, in this era, I feel um, such a impulse from ancestral knowledge and moving me forward into what I'm doing right now and knowing that it has everything to do with what is um, what is has happened before me and what I'm here to do. And so I love to honor our ancestors and, um, and your ancestors for bringing you here to do the work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's an important part not to forget. I don't think it's just us. It's not just us. So I wanted to, uh, I'm going to begin by um, reading a little bio. And it is little, Charles. I asked you to send me a bio. You sent me like two sentences. <laughs> the guy yeah. that has like, a, you know, volumes and volumes of work, I get two sentences, but that's cool. All right. It's very humble as you are. So um, maybe there's three sentences. Um, so Charles Eisenstein is a speaker and writer focusing on themes of human culture and identity. He is the author of several books, most recently, Sacred Economics and The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible, which we all love so much. I think that's been a definitive book of our time, honestly. In his newest book, Climate, A New Story, his most recent essays are The Coronation and The Conspiracy Myth. So we're going to jump into some of that. And uh, I'm, I, like I said, you've been on my mind a lot, Charles, and we haven't connected <clears throat> throughout this whole coronavirus. And I kept thinking, um, you know, where's Charles's voice? And then you came out with Coronation. And of course, you know, everybody read it, listened to it. Um, and it's interesting because I had a lot of different feelings about it. And I saw a lot of um, feedback online. And it was the first time I've ever seen pushback to you. I mean, everybody's usually, you know, everybody loves you, loves everything uh -huh. you say, amen, amen. And this was the first time I was like, Charles, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it was, yeah. people were upset. And, um, and I was dealing with my own understanding. You know, I had this bigger understanding of you. And, and what you were saying. And there was this part of me that was like, um, yeah, wondering about what kind of influence it would have on people's behaviors that um, could be counter to 
to, you know, to maintaining and controlling the virus. And so there's all of that going on, right? Because it's a fear-based, it's very fear-based. And so uh -huh. all that said, um, I, um, I really want to talk about that. And, um, and actually, before I do that, I have one other question, my first question that I ask everybody, okay? This question actually allows me to see, it, it unveils a lot about a person. I call this the brown rice hour for a reason, because brown rice actually was one of the most pivotal moments in my life when I discovered brown rice and when I became macrobiotic and it changed my whole world and I fell in love with it and it, it was transformational for me and it still is. So it's like this, and food is this thing that I feel tells all kinds of stories of people. So I'm curious, one of the things we've never talked about, I'm curious with you when you were a child, what was your most bestest comfort food and who prepared it for you? What brought you that deep sense of comfort from food? Mm. I'm, I'm just remembering my mother's cooking. Mm -hmm. She uh, was not fond of cooking. <laughs> um, she was, you know, a feminist of the era um, and resented being the one who did the cooking in the, ha in the family. You know, she was an attorney and everything and very successful, mm -hmm. uh, but it still fell to her to do the cooking. Um, yeah, I'm thinking a lot about my mother now, as I told you before that, you know, yeah. she's um, in the death process. Yeah. Um, There's not a single dish that I would, um, you know, we, I, we, I loved spaghetti and meatballs. That was one. It was pretty much uh, standard American mm -hmm. food, but, but an older American food. You know, today, American food is, is processed, you know, yeah. And, yeah. you know, TV dinners, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but she was drawing from uh, a, a tradition of, of, you know, the joy of cooking and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I do remember family dinners and, and uh, that stability, you know, and that nutrition actually, mm -hmm. um, is, it still nourishes me today. Mm -hmm. It helped, helped define what was normal, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it kind of anchored my my life that's beautiful yeah, so you thank you. fresh food fresh food yeah we had a garden yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so it still is a part of how you eat today yeah i've got a garden right now and we've got uh you know chickens in our backyard yeah yeah beautiful beautiful you know it's interesting because when i ask that question people go back to that memory it First of all, most you don't expect the question, and it really brings about a sense of settling in, also, um, for the conversation to kind of anchor into that that place of child comfort and food. So that's good. Um, thank you for that. 
another n new window into Charles Eisenstein. Um, yeah, so back to coronation and the conspiracy myth. So Charles, um, you know, I think that when I read, you know, I'm not going to, I think that people who didn't read Coronation, at least, will get it as we go. Um, it was a very long piece and um, very comprehensive um, and came out at a pivotal moment. And I wonder, I also wonder, a part of me that I'll get to later, that I wonder if it suffers from coming out too early when people weren't ready to hear that kind of rationale yet. Um, so th that's just something that I'm, I'm harboring, if, you know, timing is important. Um, but the response was, um, I, I, what I see in it is, is classical, um, classical you. And, and that is that um, underneath it all, the way that I read it, is that you are always pointing to the mythology of separation. You know, me separate from you, matter separate from spirit, and human separated from nature. And it feels to me that underneath it all, when you are talking about um, that opportunity of control, right, that, that there's this impulse that humans have around control and that the coronavirus has actually laid the perfect conditions for control. And control is to fight against the other, right? And so that being the case, um, that underneath what you are talking about, in my estimation, um, it, it would have, I mean, you're talking about a lot of things, but it really boils down to this myth of separation, the control, me and the other, and the manifestations of what control looks like in the time of coronavirus. And that, and that also, um, well, let's just stop right there. And yeah. I think that I'd like for you to speak on that. Is, yeah. Am I right in, in kind of <clears throat> bringing yeah, that yeah. into that? I mean, that's one of the main themes that, that permeates that essay right. and a lot of my other work. It's not that control is bad or that mm -hmm. there's never a time in life where you you are you know where it's appropriate to fight the other or to run away from for, from the other or to right. protect somebody from an other right uh, all animals all all beings actually um, alter their environment in some way and you could call that control but what I'm seeing is that our civilization defaults to control. Um, even in situations where control may not be the best or a fight may not be the best response. Mm -hmm. And the reason that we default that way is because of what you said, the mythology of separation mm -hmm. that holds us as fundamentally separate from nature, holds me fundamentally separate from you. Therefore, your interests and my interests are uh, opposed or at best um, uh, coincidentally aligned. Mm -hmm. So this conception of progress as um, the increasing ability to impose control over the world, to make the world better and better, 
to protect ourselves from all of the others out there and to dominate them, mm-hmm. that mentality has actually run up against um, a, a brick wall or maybe a glass ceiling in the last few generations. When, when you know, it seemed 50 or 100 years ago that every problem facing humanity was rapidly succumbing to science, reason, um, markets, and uh, the control and domination of nature. Mm-hmm. And, like conquest of nature wasn't a bad word back then. Right. But you know, in, in, in our lifetimes, um, just to like narrow it down now into um, a disease, mm-hmm. um, but we could talk about ecology, we could talk about a lot of things, uh, politics and so forth. But just to narrow it down to disease, we've seen uh, an enormous epidemic of diseases that you cannot pin on a pathogen. These are the autoimmune diseases, mm-hmm. allergies, um, uh, cancer, just to a large extent, um, and um, depression, uh, anxiety, these kinds of things, where our default response of find something to control doesn't work very well. At best, you can kind of palliate symptoms. You know, you can give somebody a psych- psychiatric medication mm-hmm. that makes them at least act happy <laughs> or make them able to, you know, live day to day. You can uh, suppress the immune system if you have an autoimmune condition, you know, but, but we've, we've seen an enormous surge in these chronic conditions mm-hmm. that, that don't succumb to a fight. So, so this is just one way that, that progress has kind of stopped mm-hmm. in, in the last few decades. So what I saw with, with COVID-19, <clears throat> finally a crisis comes along that there is an identifiable pathogen and the technologies of control uh, at least appear to work. How well they actually work, that's a whole other conversation that um, you have you know, various opinions on and I uh, don't fully subscribe to any, any of the extreme opinions on that. Um, but that would be a whole other conversation, but at least like you can reasonably say, okay, we can, we can conquer this thing. We know what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, lockdown, distancing, quarantine, um, masks, right? And so there's almost like, even though there's a lot of fear around it, there's almost like a sense of, of relief in that finally here's a crisis that we know what to do, we know how to address. Whereas when it comes down to something like, like you know, autism or um, type two diabetes or mm-hmm. uh, allergies or the, I was just on a, on a uh, call with uh, Dr. Zach Bush who pointed out that the uh, prevalence of childhood chronic conditions has risen from about 1% in 1980 to 52% today. And I'm like, and, and he's, interestingly, he said, um, we wonder why this has happened. And I'm like, I wish we wondered why. Like, to right. me, right. you know, I'm like, why haven't, why aren't we out in the streets? Why aren't we saying, oh my God, everything has to change. Right. But we just kind of take it for granted. And that's because we don't know what to do about it. It's outside of our familiar domain. Whereas 
a virus, aha, mm -hmm. now we know what to do about that. Do you Same really thing. think we don't know what to do about it? Do you really think we don't know what to do about it or we don't have the will to do what it probably takes to, to make change? Uh, as far as autoimmunity goes? Yeah, I mean, as far yeah. as some of the things that you're pointing out, it sounds to me yeah. like... Well, the knowledge is there. Right. It's, we, as, as like the um, holders of the official narratives of our civilization, don't know what to do about it. On the fringes, mm -hmm. in the holistic realm... Mm -hmm. We know how to solve all of our problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, can, we can easily feed the world and sequester 100% um, of anthropogenic uh, carbon emissions right. if we listened to the regenerative ag people. That's right. Easy. It's not That's a technical right. difficulty. Right. right. You know, right. we can eat the world. I mean, there's no reason why hundreds That's of right. millions of people have to be starving. That's right. Every we have time. everything we need. Yeah. I think what you're yeah. pointing to, though, is that this, this, this impulse to, okay, now we have something that we can control, that the easy way out becomes available. Right. Yeah. That's what control, I mean, the easy way out is this control versus, oh, I really have to change the whole fabric of society in order to address certain elements that we have, like right. climate, right? Right. And so I, I, it's, it's for me, what I'm hearing is that it's the lazy way <laughs> that if it's easy for us, control is, is, is the automatic, is our go-to, our default. Um, good. Like you said, there's a pathogen. Oh, good. It's, it's a coronavirus. We could do something with this. Right. Good. It's like terrorists. That's what's yeah, it's harming our democracy. Good. Exactly. It's Vladimir Putin. Yeah, we know what to do about it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But we have everything we need, I say, right. in terms of when we look at everything that's happening on the planet that has been toxic and that is killing us, we literally have the knowledge. Yes. Right? That's right. We, I meant like kind of our collective consensus. Okay. But yeah, in the, you know, alternative and holistic world, yeah, we know exactly what to do about all mm -hmm. of these things. We know what to we do. We can talk about any issue. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. you really, though, you really, you know, you know, made people angry about um, this whole thing around control because your, your essay on the um, coronation, it points to the systems of control, like you just said, right? Forced quarantine, social distancing, can't shake my hand, I can't give you a hug, all these things, wearing, forced wearing a mask. And the way it was set up in, in the essay as if there's something wrong with that or or it has its downside, let's just say. It has right. its downside. And I think that's what you were pointing to when people were thinking, are you saying, Charles, that we shouldn't wear masks, that we shouldn't quarantine, that we should do all these things? And is that what you were saying? Um, I was saying that we should look at the reasons why we are doing these things. Um, and how much of that is coming from a reflex of control and how much of that is actually um, coming from uh, a reasoned and objective view of the situation. <clears throat> and to know that answer, we have to look at what information we're not allowing in right. and what paradigms we're operating in and, and what's getting left out. I mean, yeah. this is the general principle of healing of our time is to uh, bring in what has been left out. Hmm whatever it could be the races that have been left out could have been the cultures that have been left out the ideas the ways of knowing the ways of seeing um the medical therapies um mm -hmm. the the 
other beings in this planet. Like, what are we not counting? What are we not yeah. valuing? What are we not listening to? So that's a general principle. Mm -hmm. uh, and when it comes down to a, a disease, and I don't deny that COVID-19 is a serious disease and it is a new disease. Like, like I've, you know, been talking to doctors in the field. Right. Like, like there is a serious new disease. How we see that disease, how we see viral infection in general mm -hmm. is also conditioned by us versus them thinking. Right. So there are whole other paradigms of uh, virology mm -hmm. that shed light, shed different light on what a viral infection is and versus, the relationship. Other than us versus them, this virus right. versus us. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Like this so, virus uh, is us? Well, um, that viruses are uh, one of the prime ways that uh, organisms um, share genetic information with each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, a large amount of the human genome is composed of DNA that came in through viruses. Right. Uh, and and um, uh, plants and, and bacteria can uh, uh, share uh, DNA that helps them resist, you know, antibiotics or pesticides or something like that using viruses as a communication mechanism. Like life is not a bunch of separate genetically, hermetically sealed organisms right uh, but it is a a, a genetic plenum it's a it's a a matrix of relationships sure. and there is no solid boundary between self and other and when we make right. a solid boundary we're asking for trouble actually right because right. life thrives in community right and that doesn't mean that that some viruses are not dangerous right or that they are not dangerous under certain circumstances and then you get into well, okay, you know, you get into uh, immunity and uh, the conditions um, that allow a virus to become pathogenic and to thrive. And there's, so in that case, what gets left out is, for example, herbal medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been reading some of the Chinese press. Uh, I used to live oh. in Taiwan and I was a translator there. And, and oh, right, I remember. So, you know, they're, um, uh, they've used uh, traditional Chinese medicine on something like 90% of COVID cases there. Really? With, according to them, enormous success. They have six different herbal formulas that they use in different circumstances. Hmm. Uh, a few of them are like thousands of years old mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and some of them are, are new. Mm -hmm. um, and they're using it side by side with, with what we call modern medicine. Um, and they they say, well, yeah, we've studied it. Here's, you know, they, they have their studies that confirm its effectiveness. Mm -hmm. Then I look in the um, Western media and they portray it in a very, it's yeah. almost racist, the, yeah. how negative, negatively they portray it. Yeah. Uh, this is, you know, Chinese attempting a soft yeah. power push, you know, to, right. um, these are like not scientifically proven. They could have harmful side effects. Um, and some of these critiques um, do not do not grasp how traditional Chinese formulas work. They say, well, you know, you haven't um, isolated your variables mm -hmm. and done a double-blind study. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't do a double-blind study when when that medicine is specific to each person. Right. Exactly. It's, yeah. Right. No such and, thing. And, and when it's a synergistic formula, mm -hmm. you can't isolate to find the, the active ingredient. 
So it's a whole different mindset that's getting pushed out. Right. And when we exclude that, then we're only left with the right. kinds of responses that we're familiar with. Right. The Western I, I'm mentality. just like, can we please expand this conversation right. um, to include all of, all of these right. new paradigms that have been wanting to come in because of that glass ceiling? Mm -hmm. like we, the, the reductionistic, analytic, control-based yeah. approach right. to right. everything, to yeah. agriculture, to you know, national security, et cetera, et cetera, it is failing us. Yes. We can kill as many terrorists as we want, but that doesn't stop domestic violence from sneaking under the fortress walls. Yes. And we sense maybe that there's some connection there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That what we do to the world happens to us too. Mm -hmm. That's the principle of interbeing. Right. That I have not seen applied to COVID-19. And I would really, and really that's what the coronation was a call for. And then like, as you're saying, People are like, oh, you know, you're, you're um, indulging in right-wing, like people think I'm a right-wing conspiracy theorist now. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's news to me. Um, Did you not I expect that? About myself. Were you surprised at that reaction? Yeah. Were I mean, you? I've always identified as a leftist and I'm like, I, I thought questioning authority was what we did on the left, <laughs> you know? And I thought like hippies and organic food and alternative medicine and, and, like unplugging from the matrix. I thought that was the left. Right. So doesn't that show you that, yeah. that the left and the right are all kind of so closely connected <laughs> that there's very, because you're right. It seems like it, like, and I understand people saying right-wing conspiracy theorists because it's like, maybe you shouldn't wear a mask. Like, because when you look at the people who are, who are actually um, in our society right now, how political wearing a mask has come, it's gone down the political lines of right and left and red and blue. And so yeah. it sounds like you're on the red side of things when you, when you say the things that you're saying, and yet you're also, also bucking authority, which is on the left side of things. And so it's, it's, it's an interesting combination that everybody's mad at you, Charles. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is incredible um, how <laughs> left and right have kind of become a little indistinguishable in some areas. In that some is, areas, exactly. Yeah. That is so interesting. And you know, when you talk about, um, and I, you, you mentioned too in the essay, I forget which one, maybe it's the myth, mythology one, you talk about the margins and um, and just bringing in what you just said about the Chinese medicine. Like, I haven't been following that, of course. I'm learning something as I always do when I talk to you. And to think about what is out there that we are not even because of our our meaning Western, okay, this Western mindset of reductionism, as you pointed to. And, you know, the one thing that I know is that when it comes to mainstream and margins, right, every group has a mainstream and has margin. And, and that margin, the mainstream is the one whose values are being promoted. It's all about, you know, they set the tone. And the margin is out here always, always, you know, with a different point of view, with the different, a different axis. And what happens, in my opinion, is that mainstreams grow healthy when they become aware of and when they change their behaviors in relationship to the margins. And if they don't, if they refuse to do that, they die off. They die off. And I really feel like that is one of the things that I see the margins. Let's talk a little bit about, um, let's talk, 
we're going to move from this and talk. Well, it's still a combination. I really want to talk a little bit about the reaction to the murder of George Floyd. I haven't heard you speak on that yet. And I'm looking at so many things come up for me, Charles, around the global reaction. Because in my experience as a black woman in America, it's just another black man getting killed by a white cop, which I don't minimize when I say that. But I say it in that way because it's just so prevalent. But the reaction this time was very different. And I think that people, I think that stacking it on top of the coronavirus, where people are quiet, they're at home, they're, they're, they're more settled, they're more tenderized, okay? I think they're rooting for life. You know, people are rooting for their own life and for others' lives. And then this terrible murder happens. Yeah. And when I think about separation and all that you talk about, the separate, I'm separate from you, the hope in me is hoping that I'm witnessing, that we are witnessing a little bit of that separation shifting, that mm-hmm. George Floyd becomes more me than any black man ever has been to a to typical white person or European or wherever you live in the world, that George Floyd somehow becomes more of me. And I'm hoping that that's what we're seeing. What, what's your thought about that? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't written about it, um, but I've spoken about it on, on some podcasts. Um, yeah, I, I, I would start where, with what you just said. Um, that it's not like, you know, police murders of black people or anything new. Right. But the response is, is pretty new. Um, and, and my optimistic take on it is that what was, has been tolerable mm-hmm. for a long time mm-hmm. by, you know, mainstream society is no longer tolerable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean we know what to do about it, mm-hmm. but the, you know, convulsions, like the, the civil unrest that, mm-hmm. that came from that, basically right. are saying, we cannot abide this anymore. Right, right. The danger is that that, that energy, the, 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 the rage that it is liberated, that, mm-hmm. that liberated, you know, that, mm-hmm. that is coming out now, mm-hmm. gets directed toward um, objects uh, that uh, actually don't solve the problem or even make it worse. So just because somebody uh, knows what oppression is or has been subjected to oppression doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to heal the conditions that cause mm-hmm. oppression. So in the, in the sense of rage, uh, anger, mm-hmm. um, one of the diversions of that, of the revolutionary potential of that energy is when it's directed toward hatred mm-hmm. or toward blaming individuals rather than the system that creates them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it, it can also be used to distract uh, attention from, and I'm not saying like that it's bad. Um, I think it's a necessary stage, mm-hmm. but ultimately I would like to see that, that anger motivate um, a deeper systemic understanding of the conditions that give rise to um, racism, that give rise to exploitation, that give rise to- You don't think it to- is? You don't think it is? You don't think that 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 what we're seeing 
is actually, I mean, I think it is a necessary step. It's, it's a necessary step. And, and I think it is absolutely giving rise to the first time I'm hearing white people talk about systemic racism. Yes. In, in, in public discourse. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think it is, it is a positive step. Um, but I'm still focused on or aware of who's getting left out. Mm-hmm. You know, like just as one example of, of um, what is just not even talked about at all in mm-hmm. the conversation about race. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same thing has come up in, uh, in, you know, some of the criticism of the coronation um, where, you know, the, it's like, don't you know, Charles, that people of color are suffering much worse mm-hmm. from coronavirus than white people are? Yeah. I'm like, yes, I'm aware of that. And don't you know that the lockdown has been devastating for hundreds of millions of day laborers in South Asia and Africa, like people who, um, you know, literally feed their families on the money they make that day and are facing starvation in tens or hundreds of millions right now. Like, and I'm not saying therefore let's not have a lockdown, Mm -hmm. but I'm saying, can we please bring those in as well? And why are they not being brought in? Mm-hmm. Could it have something to do with the fact that they're just, you know, these, you know, black and brown people and, you know, the, what Donald Trump called the shithole countries? Like, why right. are they, they not as in our consciousness? Why are they being yeah. left out? So well, that's, that's. Um, but that's America. I mean, we are so America centric and you know that. I mean, when do we ever think about anything but ourselves? I mean, rarely, um, you know, the conversation. So the conversation in America is usually 99 percent about America. And secondly, when we talk about race and racial relationships, we are also there's so much to talk about globally. And if we focus on see, I, I find a tendency that. um I find a tendency when we start talking, when black people start talking about race, that there is this tendency to look globally, which in my, the way I look at it is that, yes, of course. And what it does is it's much harder to have the conversation about your own backyard than it is somewhere else. And so we have not dealt with race in this society at all. As you know, there's just been, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's horrible. And so the idea that can we just even focus on race in America and have a real conscious dialogue with all of America and really a sustained conversation, a sustained look at what it really is. And before we even go out into, you know, other areas of the world, can we have that conversation? We haven't had that. Yeah, I think we really have to have bring both in. You know, yeah. I'm not saying, you know, oh, let's not talk about race in America because it's so much worse elsewhere. Um, no, I know. the mirror of the others. But yeah. what, what's, what, it is the mirror of the other. But until we do something here, I mean, the other thing when I look at, because I, I had that same, I had the same um, analysis about 
uh, coronation as well. I mean, I know that in part of it, you bring up um, Italy and you talk about, um, you know, pre-existing conditions that the death rate in Italy, they did a lot of examples and, and that only like, I think 1% you say um, had no pre-existing conditions and every, most of them did. The vast majority of people who died had pre-existing conditions of like hypertension, diabetes and what have you. And then you ask, should we blame the virus or should we blame poor health? And my question is, when I look at that, um, I, for me, it's like, or do we blame structural racism when it comes to this country? Because the bottom line is that the pre-existing conditions, as we know, black people, I mean, in Michigan, blacks were 133% more likely to catch the virus, okay? Mm-hmm. Every state that you look at, it's a huge preponderance of black people getting the virus and dying. And the underlying causes, right? There's a lot of underlying causes for that. And it's structural racism that have to do with um, neighborhoods that we live in, um, neighborhoods that have filled with toxins and pollutants, environmental injustice issues, lack of healthy food and nearby, lack of green spaces, lack of clean air, um, and all of this a legacy of green lining that we know about, right? And we look at the, the... distance to healthy medical care and all of this leading to a preponderance of of black folks and brown folks uh, with hypertension diabetes and lung disease Mm -hmm. and so this is one of the reasons and then the other reason when you talk about jobs the huge percentage of the essential jobs are by poor people are by black and brown people. They are the bus drivers. They are the they are the people at your grocery store checking out your food. They are the ones who are stocking um, the shelves. They are the ones in the background who are still going to work. Okay, you're talking they about can't those work ones from who home can, to do those they jobs. can't. They, right. So working from home. One of the things that I want to point out to you is that I think that this idea of um, quarantine and all that, you know, pushing against it. Honestly, it's a privilege. Being able to work from home is a privilege. There are so many people, poor people, who can't, they don't have the jobs that they can work from home, okay? Being able to wear a mask is a privilege. There are so many black men who are afraid to go into a store with a mask on, right? Yeah. We've already I, seen yeah. examples of them being, being um, um, hassled in and, and arrested in a store in, in America, a black man with a mask on. So it's like, honestly, I mean, there's, there, there's, there's parallel worlds going on. And I really want to, so one of the analysis that I have and one of the, you know, the, one of the criticisms that I have about coronation is looking at it from that lens and knowing that I think that the lens that, and I agree with, I agree with what, what you're saying, because it is, again, that still is based on separation. It all is based on separation. And, but bringing up a racial analysis for me was important. And I didn't feel like you did that. Yeah. No, I didn't, didn't, in, in the conspiracy myth, I touched on a little bit more. Yeah. But yeah, on the coordination, I didn't apply racial analysis. No. Um, and I, th- to everything you said, I would just add one thing. Okay. Um, when you talked about the conditions mm-hmm. um, of, uh, you know, of being affected more by, by coronavirus, the biggest one, which you indirectly mentioned, but you didn't say it out loud, is poverty. Yeah, that's and it. And that is, um, 
from you know from the research and reading I've done, that's by far the biggest predictor of um, whether you're going to be su uh, subject to imprisonment, you know, incarceration, mm -hmm. police violence, um, obesity, autoimmunity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, class is even a bigger predictor than race of all of those things. Well, so then but the race and the class in America is based a lot on race. Right. There, so then the, the question the, is, okay. Right. right. So then, then, then that leads next, next to the question, well, why are so many more black people that's right in poverty below the poverty and that line. then gets to, then that question has no easy answer it has you know historical reasons going back for for centuries mm -hmm. uh, it has you know the going back to slavery not only mm -hmm. the economic legacy of slavery and and jim crow and mm -hmm. Uh, the carceral state, you know, and the school to prison pipeline and the war on drugs, all that stuff that perpetuates poverty. Yeah. But then there's also the, on the biological level, mm -hmm. the, the experience of trauma right. that That's gets right. passed on both culturally and generational, generational so it's like, trauma. Yeah. So like it is a huge mess. And what I want to see is actual healing or um, I also like using the word repair, yeah. which then leads to the concept of That's reparations. Right. That's right. I think I think reparations is 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 an important operating concept as long as we don't make it about punishment, mm -hmm. and because when it when it feeds into the um, guilt and shame dynamics that surround so much of this conversation, people tend to get motivated to do whatever is necessary to make themselves look good and to get off the hook and avoid yeah. um, criticism yeah. rather than to actually heal the situation. Yeah, but that's the work actually of white people. The that's the yeah. work of white people not to feel guilt and shame. And I find, honestly, Charles, that my white friends who have done deep work in race and privilege and, and white supremacy and all this kind of work, when they have done ongoing and ongoing work, those are the people that I know that don't feel guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. Because that's been replaced with understanding. Right. You know, and, right. and, and information. And when you don't have information, you feel that lack of information with guilt and shame. Right. Guilt that's and shame what I are find. a substitute for understanding. That's right. And, it's a substitute. And judgment of that's others right. is also a substitute for understanding. Yep. That's so I'm right. like, let's actually understand these these incredibly complicated conditions i agree and when we see them we don't actually necessarily know what to do although there are mm -hmm. some obvious things mm -hmm. that we could do mm -hmm. that um are that are reparative mm -hmm. um or regenerative uh that also um that that heal a lot of the legacy economic and, and physiological trauma of racism and also address class, mm -hmm. uh, which is some kind of debt jubilee or debt cancellation, right. which actually means um, yeah. an inc a massive redistribution of wealth. Yeah. You can't cancel debt without redistributing wealth because, That's right. as you know, one person's right. debt is another person's asset. That's right. That's and, right. And anything that avoids this fundamental um, class analysis mm -hmm. is not going to reach to the root of the problem. Mm -hmm. it, it, our, our, our society's resources, i.e., at least in this age, our money mm -hmm. has to be 
distributed in a way that repairs the legacy of um, the legacy that results in poverty. Yeah. And as you know, that legacy is especially acute when it comes to African-Americans. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah. we don't have to leave out, um, you know, poor whites either. Right. You know, I mean, anybody who's, see, that's the thing. Like one of the, the um, mental reflexes, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the patterns of the mind of separation mm-hmm. is to find somebody who's mm-hmm. inexcusable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So find somebody you can right. judge right. and thereby right. distinguish yourself as better than. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That is the mind of hierarchy. That is the mind that um, absolutely. And I wonder if that is, you know, it's, it's, it's global, right? It's like who's on top of who, right? And who's below who. Um, and I, I think of that and I wonder, I think about it a lot. And I, I wonder, is that is that nature or is that nurture? I mean, where, do, where does that come from? Is, 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 do we, where does that come from? Because it's so prevalent of who's on top, who's on bottom, this separation, this hierarchical way of separating, um, who's dominating who, who's the underclass, who's the upper class. It's, it's everywhere. Well, and hundred it's, gatherers right. had ways to handle these energies. Yeah. Um, they basically took over everywhere where there was mass civilization. Mm-hmm. So arising independently in China, India, uh, West Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, North America, South, South America, like civilization arose independently in all these places. And everywhere where it happened, you had the same things. You had mm-hmm. patriarchy, mm-hmm. you had hierarchy, you had right. slavery, you right. had warfare, you right. had ecocide. Right. Everywhere. Everywhere. So it's not, yeah, it's not like, um, it, it, it's, it's a phenomenon that I see it as actually uh, an evolutionary stage. Mm-hmm. Because civilization happened pretty much everywhere where it could have happened. Mm-hmm. Everywhere where there was domesticatable plants and animals. Mm-hmm. And everywhere where it happened, same thing. So for me, it's like, it's not that civilization was a big mistake as, you know, some, some radical thinkers believe that, Yeah. but it's like having gone through this passage, what's on the other side of it and how right. can we um, bring the values and um, some of the way of relating that hunter gatherers practiced with each other and with, nature, how can we bring that into mm-hmm. civilization? That's never been yeah. done before. Interesting. Different civilizations held a piece of it during various golden ages, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and it was the civilization that took, that eventually took form in Western Europe that took these trends to their extreme and then basically conquered the rest of the world and colonized the rest of the world. But it actually um, wasn't only in European civilization that this happened. And if, um, if historical, if, if geo, ge- geographical conditions were different, if, say, sub-Saharan Africa had lots of really good ports and iron ore, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and the other things that led to the development of technology and enabled Europe to conquer the rest of the world, mm-hmm. then we might be having this conversation, you know, about whiteness instead of blackness. Yeah. It's not Maybe. that Maybe. it's not that white people are smarter or that black people are better, you know? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's it's the it comes down to to historical uh accidents and which and and to the land which influences culture yeah well one of the things though you have to look at is that even as we point to you know this kind of slavery and enslaving people and all this stuff happened everywhere africa everywhere prior to the transatlantic uh slave trade the chattel slavery that is unique to america is a very unique slavery than happened anywhere on the planet and the brutality of it and the way it was played out is it and it's i mean it's all demonic i'd say in some way but it has its unique flavor in america the way chattel slavery played out here and so that mentality that created that um, is something that I still think, I mean, I don't know if you've been to, um, and beyond, beyond slavery, when you, have you been to the Montgomery, to the, um, to the EJI, the, um, Equal Justice Initiative, the, um, Peace and, and Justice Memorial? No. I'd love for you to go. I'd love for you to go. The Museum and Memorial in, in Montgomery, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And it is the memorial is a witness to the over four thousand people that they found of of black folks who were hung all the way into the sixties, the nineteen sixties, um, and the stories of of that absolutely brutal um, practice of hanging black folk. And so I'm just saying that. There is, yes, you know, the history of humanity is a history of, 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 of a lot of darkness. And I, I can't help but think and look at right now what happened here in, on, on this land, because this is the land where I stand, where my ancestors are, my known ancestors, and of course they're everywhere. But um, I can't help but be impacted by that and and know that our whole society our society in america white side black side indigenous are all impacted currently today by what happened and yes. we need repair like you said we desperately need repair and what i think the coronavirus going back to that coronavirus um uh, the murder of mr floyd I think it all points to a big shining light on, that's just part of it, the race part of it is way more than that. It's the entire um, society and I see it as a feedback, it's feedback. We're getting feedback, you know, any system needs feedback. That's gonna be a healthy system so that we can course correct. We are getting some serious feedback right now and light is shining on all of the places where we have absolutely failed, where we have failed each other, we have failed ourselves, we have failed the land, we have failed the other species, we have failed the earth. And will we take this as an opportunity 
to course correct some of this. Do you think we will do that? Yes. Um, at least if it's within my power, we will. Um, you know, I think what, what you say is really important that, you know, the, the brutality, the horror that has happened on this earth has taken a unique form in the land where you and I grew up um, and that it calls us to confront it in order that it no longer operate unconsciously. Right. Um, this is, you know, a matter of healing. Yeah, it's not a matter right. of, of um, you know, turning the tools of domination onto the former oppressor no. and making them no. submit. No. It is about healing and for healing to happen. That's right. What was hidden and unconscious has to rise to the surface it and has the stories to rise. need to be told. That's right. So the museum you're speaking of is important because that's right. Um, you know, some people might not be aware of like how bad it was, mm -hmm. you know, that mm -hmm. they would mm -hmm. hang somebody and take pictures and make postcards of those and send them to the that's man's right. mother. That's like, right. That kind of thing happens right. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And bring the kids. Yeah. We're having a hanging, you know, right. bring out the popcorn. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so like the, the ripple effect of that trauma which, yeah. you know, has sunk into the land itself and into um, black culture. Uh, you know, it, it, it um, like, I personally don't know what it will take to heal that, but I do know something of the conditions of healing. Yeah. But I got to tell you, I think it has sunk into white culture more than even black culture. Yeah. Because when I was there, Charles, yeah. yeah, when I was there, I'm looking at, you have to go, it's so brilliantly done and so heartfelt where there's these huge, big, everybody who's listening must go to Montgomery, Alabama and go to the Peace and Justice Memorial Museum. There's, they've made these huge, big um, slabs of concrete representing each 4,000 people and they're, hang, they're literally hanging with names on them. And as you walk through, it's like you're walking through all these hanging pieces of slab and you think, what I thought was, as I was mourning the names, families, you could see the names and you knew, oh, that must have been, you know, a whole family. What I mourned as much, the people who did this, the mentality who did this. Who, who, what does it take to be able to do that? As I am the descendant of those who are hanging, you are the descendant of those who did this. And we are all in this together. And I think that when we think of race, we always point towards the people of color, the black person or the indigenous person. But I always think about the white person. And what was lost? What did you give up? What did you have to give up to do to do that? What did you have to give up? And what is the legacy right now that I'm living in, in Oakland, California, that still comes down from that? I had a conversation a few years ago with a colleague about this kind of topic, um, about judgment and, and the conditions that cause somebody to, to you know, commit um, violence. And 
she's like, yeah, you know, I totally understand if you're talking about some inner city African-American kid, you know, who has, um, a, you know, maybe uh, an alcoholic father, you know, or whatever, and and no economic opportunities except for the drug trade. I can understand why he might fall into violence, but those white supremacists, they've got no excuse. They're just sitting there with their baseball caps and their bellies protruding out, sitting there so entitled. There's no reason why they mm. would have any justification or any reason to commit violence. Mm. And I thought, do you actually know that? Yeah. Because if you take any one of those men and go back in time 40 years, what they were was a sweet, innocent baby. Mm-hmm. And have you asked what mm-hmm. has to happen to what a happened? baby? That's right. For them to someday hang somebody. Mm-hmm. That's right. And mock them. Like That's right. what has to die within you? What has to what die? needs to be repaired That's for right. that to no That's longer right. happen? And that's why I say this is about all of us. It's not more in the black community at all. It is all of us. And when, what about the trauma that came from Europe? You know, what trauma is still within the white bodies that came from Europe? What trauma is in that? I mean, there's, it's, it's, it goes back and back and back, right? And it's back far as you, as far as you want to go. As far as you want to go. Empire, I mean, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And so, you know, and here we are right now living it out not talking about it, brushing it under, sort of, but living it out in such crazy ways that we live on the planet and with each other. And that is why the silver lining for me about the coronavirus has been stop, quiet, look at yourselves, look at what's happening. Then Mr. Floyd gets murdered. Look at this. Who are we? What society do we really want to be? It's such an opportunity right now. Such an opportunity. Our liberation is absolutely tied. And I think through our grief, through our collective grief, maybe we needed to have something that was collective where I'm not separated from you with the coronavirus. Yes, my people are dying at at bigger numbers than yours. But your mother, your brother, your sister, everybody is susceptible. We have something that we are having, we're sharing in common. Mr. Floyd's murder somehow became a community harm, which it always has been, but it finally got noticed as that in the heart, in the body, somatically. Yep. And I believe that this collective grief is where our liberation together lies. I'm hoping. There's a lot on our plates right now. We have a real opportunity. I hope we don't blow a good opportunity like this. What you thinking? I'm just thinking of um, the necessity to unlearn 
the uh, con the, the uh, concept of, of punishment or the response of punishment and to disentangle that from justice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it, it tricks the uh, mind of separation into thinking that the problem has been solved. If you can effectively punish everybody who does bad yeah. things. Yeah. And it's just, it's just compounds it. Yeah. It compounds it. And that's why I think when I, you know, the TRC, the truth and reconciliation that happened in South Africa, flawed as it was, it, it, it had to happen. I think it really prevented what could have been utter and total chaos and bloodshed. Mm -hmm. And because in it is the truth, that part of, of TRC truth, truth telling, truth telling yes. goes a long way. And we have not done that. And it was further developed in Rwanda, actually. That's right. The truth and reconciliation process. There's some right. very advanced technologies. This is, you know, harks back to our earlier theme of, of you know, none of the uh, problems are actually hard to solve. Right. The technologies have always have been there for a long time in the margins. Yeah. yeah. And if we just brought those technologies in, I mean, we wouldn't, quote, need a prison industrial complex anymore. That's right. That's right. If we put, like, it wouldn't even be that expensive, you know? Right. I mean, if we it's devoted one-tenth of the military budget mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. instituting peace and reconciliation processes on a mass yep. scale, yep. it would utterly transform society. Utterly. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And we just, we have everything we need. I go back to, we have everything we need. Yeah. We have the technologies, we have the um, processes. We just have to have the will. And I'm hoping that this is, is this breaking us down enough to say, stop it. <laughs> you know, we can't keep going on like this. And part of the will though, like the, the part of the will comes from how we perceive the world and what right. we think is possible mm -hmm. and how we understand each other. Mm -hmm. And that takes me to the, again, to the stories, the mythology, um, that we have to stop seeing the world as a giant struggle of each against all. That's right. That's right. Once we adopt that, once we understand that everything that's happening mirrors something in ourselves and everything is connected right. and, and there, that there's an intelligence in all things, mm -hmm. then processes like truth and, truth and reconciliation become second nature. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh, of course, I've been looking of for that. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And that takes me back to the coronation. Like that's yeah. why my, my, the fur rose on my back when I saw the way our society was responding to it. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, this is the same template as of the war of each on, against all. It's the same template of holding something as other that actually underlies racism too. That's right. And underlies ecocide. Yep. So how else could we look at this? And can we please let these other ways of looking at it in and see what becomes available? Yeah. Um, but, you know, both epidemiologically and, and medically and yeah. socially and politically. Yeah, that's really all the coronation was. It was, and that's why I called it the coronation. I'm saying, this is a moment of choice, mm -hmm. a moment where we can exercise our sovereignty, because mm -hmm. um, a coronation is a, a ritual of coming into sovereignty. Right. And, yeah, that's, 
That was the the motivating spirit. <laughs> yeah, that was the motivating spirit. I I I, you know, we go back a while, and you know, I've been, I know somewhat about you, and 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 how where you land, and I read it with hearing your voice. Actually, I didn't want to hear it. I needed to read it, but in it, as I read it. I know your voice and I heard your voice and where your emphasis was and what you meant by what you said. And it was, it's a brilliant piece of work, by the way. It is a brilliant Thanks. piece of work. And it is anything that causes this much, um, what, conversation, uproar, whatever it might be, um, you know you're doing something right because otherwise if everybody's just saying oh charles is just so brilliant oh it's so great everything's so great um but you you definitely um you riled it up and i i loved everything that you were pointing to because the totalitarian state is right upon us do we go that way or do we go this way that's really what it boils down to because it's all the conditions it's the it's again it goes back to how right and left and 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 conservative and liberal are or progressive are pretty close to the same thing because yeah. honestly these are the exact conditions that you either go totalitarian or you go community mm -hmm. same yeah. conditions and you were community pointing that the, out you point that yeah. out yeah that's and that's the word is community you know it's not like uh either, you know, personal freedom, you know, versus totalitarian no. state. No. It's about local place, community yeah. relationship. That's right. That's the, the third way that gets again, left out in a lot of the polarized rhetoric. Yeah. yeah. I loved one. Of, I just also read the, the, sh the article you did. Um, what was it called? Um, the cure of the, of the earth. A cure of the and, earth. Yeah. yeah. And that, uh, which reminds me of all of my, travels to the Amazon, you know, I, I lead tours to the Amazon with Pachamama Lions. I did that for many years and that I love and, and my heart is breaking, you know, around um, Bolsonaro and stuff that's going on there. But um, yeah. what you said that I loved and I, I want to kind of leave us with that because we're going to have to come around to a close. But you said you talked about how, um, you know, you're going to talk about the Amazon and, and what's happening there, but uh, you're not going to go into all the negative stuff. You're not going to go into how it's so important and what it would happen if it goes away and all these things, because you said no one can be scared into falling in love. And what you want to do is have people fall in love with life and not scare people. And I loved that. No one can be scared into falling in love. And you, Charles, have, um, you hold humanity and who we, the fullness of who we are in such a, a way that we all listen, you know? We want to hear your perspective and, and how you see you, you, you're, you're, you're so out of the box from what is, we're being channeled to, to see a certain way and to think of it in certain ways. And you're always challenging that. And falling in love with life is 
what this is all about and falling in love with each other. Because I think that would what happened is that if we if we didn't other each other, we may actually fall in love with each other. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be scary? And then, <laughs> and then anything's possible. Then anything's possible. Yeah. Anything is possible. So I just want to thank you for everything and who you are and for all the words that you continue to, um, to put out there. Um, I would love to see a racial analysis. Um, that for me was missing. And, um, you know, sitting in the seat that I sit in, I, that's my lens. Um, and you, though, bring so much to the table. And I'm, I've read Coronation twice, and I will read it again because I keep learning something else from it. And the fur on my back, which do you really have fur on your back? You mentioned that. Like, Not really, actually. I hope you don't have fur on your back. I hate that. I don't like no. that. No, maybe like tiny little invisible ones. Okay, okay. No fur on your back. The, 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 the invisible fur on my back <laughs> <laughs> kind of came up, uh, you know, um, through when, when I first read it. I was like, oh, Charles, are you telling us not to? And, and I just like kind of ease, open, listen, read. And um, I see you and I appreciate you. And thank you for making me work at it. You make yeah. me work. It's not like, you know, everything in there is the gospel truth. There's, if I rewrote it now, there might be right. some things I would, you know, say differently or think differently. Right. But, you know, um, I'm not out here to be perfect. Yeah. No. Yeah. Just, just, just do your paths work and say what you I think you I will write say. an article on race, though, not specifically about coronavirus. But right. I, it's been brewing. And I, I, I hesitate to jump too quickly into mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. intense conversations because right. then people can't hear anything that's outside, you know, which side are you on? Right. To, to really say something new and especially in, you know, it's a minefield out there right now. Totally. Um, so be, be tread lightly on that one. Yeah. 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 So I've been brewing it for a while. Yeah. 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 Well, you and I have been back and forth touching it many times yeah. too. So yeah, we can bat back and forth if you want to at some point in time. If you see, I, I just think I'll just say a little bit of what I'm thinking now. I just okay. think that that um, the right wing would actually embrace reparations if they if they could fall in love. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I keep thinking, if only you knew what it was like. Yeah. Then, of course, you would want to take care of your brother human, your sister human. You know. Like you're a caring person. Yeah. Um, and that statement can become prophetic. Mm-hmm. If you hold that strongly enough of somebody, then they'll step into that. Right. Like you're, if, if you can actually see it there, then, mm. you know, we can, we can all do this. We can all bring people into their full humanity. You don't get the satisfaction of seeing them, um, uh, you know, grovel in defeat. Right. But you do get to have healing. Yeah. And, and the like, amount yeah. of healing could be right. profound. Yeah. I mean, what we know in our hearts is possible mm-hmm. around the world, not just in this country. Um, it, it's, 
yeah. you know, what John Lennon was t- tapping into, you know, it is, it is there. It's calling us. Yeah. 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 And that need, like you said, there's that, you know, that need for, to see retribution is, um, if that can, if we can lift above that, um, yeah. it's like, do you want to be right or do you want to be at peace? Right. That's and, the guardian at the threshold. Yeah. Yeah. And the coin that we have to give that guardian to pass is, it is to let go of finally being vindicated. That's right. And getting revenge. Yeah. Yeah. Getting revenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's just repair. Let's just repair. And, um, and you, you, I just want to say one other clarifying thing when you said if the right wing could only, um, you know, get to reparations. It's not only, I mean, the right wing, but, you know, the progressive side is not there either. Yeah. Not. Most most are not. Well, I think the progressives are actually uh, kind of crypto right wing <laughs> in many ways. So, <laughs> Don't say that on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> in many ways, I said, in many ways. <laughs> See, that's going to open up a whole other can of worms. We better close this down. <laughs> okay. Well, you can edit that out if you want. <laughs> no, I'm gonna keep it. All right. <laughs> we're gonna end with that. And it's like part okay. two when I come back with Charles eyes and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I so appreciate you. Thank you for yeah. saying yes. Thank you immediately saying yes to my email. You always yeah. do. I appreciate it. And um you take good care of yourself, okay? Yeah, you too, Carmen. All right. And yep. we'll we'll see each other again soon. I hope so. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. Well. okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.